Let us hear God's word, Galatians 6, verse 11 to 15. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. There is the holy and errant word of God. Let's pray that he would bring his blessing to us. How do you shout on social media? It took me a while to understand why people would put out tweets or messages all in capital letters. And it was only about a couple years ago that somebody said, that means they're shouting out to you. They want you to hear what's being said. They don't want you to miss the key message that's being presented. And so if you want to shout on Twitter or Facebook, you capitalize your words. In my day, maybe it's a little bit for some of you, we used to, when we were writing letters, we used to underline and embolden or highlight it in some way that we wanted to draw your attention to it. That just shows you how things have changed over time. Well, Paul here speaks about writing with large letters. See what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. And, and it isn't that Paul is simply adding uh, his own take uh, to the letter so that you know it's from him or just a personal note. Uh, he usually had what we call an amanuense who would write what Paul spoke and we might call it a glorified secretary. But here Paul takes it up and, and he writes with large letters with that same purpose. If you get nothing else out of this letter, lay hold of this truth. Don't let anyone fool you with a false gospel. And you might sit there and think, well, I know what the gospel is. And we might speak it very simply and clearly. It's having faith in Jesus Christ, believing on the Lord to save me from my sins and to give me eternal life. And and in an oversimplified way, yes, that is what the gospel is. But you get the problem when things get added to what pertains to our salvation. And that's what this letter has been about. Paul is saying, don't let anyone add to the work of Jesus Christ, to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, enforcing those additions as necessary for your salvation in Jesus Christ. In his day, it was the issue of circumcision. They were so closely tied to the Jewish church at that time 
that uh, the extension of Jewish traditions and Jewish rites and rituals that were important to the people of God from the Old Testament right up to the time of Christ, they were adding all of those extras to it and saying, yes, faith in Christ is fine insofar as it goes, but if you really want to be saved, then you need to do this. You need to be circumcised. You need to obey the feast days. You need to follow the Jewish calendar. You need to do all of these extras. And then you will be really saved. He addresses once more this principal point of the gospel and how it is that we as sinners are able to be made right For the presence of God. How we are justified. You know, I see we have a number of visitors, but I'm going to define that word again. It's a Bible word. It's not a word that gets used much anymore in the broader evangelical community. What does it mean to be justified? Justification is that act of God's free grace. It's that declaration of God of how a sinner, unworthy of his love, unworthy of his presence, is made right so that God can accept them. So that God can say, welcome into my holy presence. I will treat you as one who is righteous. And so justification is that act of God where he pardons all of our sins and he accepts us as righteous, not for anything righteous in us or by us, but for that righteousness and that perfection and that obedience of Christ that is now charged to us, placed upon us, covering us. And the biblical word is imputed. There is no other way to be justified in the presence of God except through the faith in Jesus Christ, who he is and that work that he has done. And you'd almost think that the early church had it right. We're only about 20 years after the resurrection of Christ. And already the church started like this and went down. (laughs) All of these issues about how a sinner can be accepted by God were already uh, coming and infecting the gospel. And, And Paul here stresses the motives of why this happened in our text. I, I was thinking about this, how, you know, the issues that we deal with as a church concerning the purity of the gospel haven't changed. We're still having every generation to reinforce the bottom line truth of how justification is accomplished. But the issues that infect the gospel change. The motives don't. The motives still continue on. In Paul's day, the challenge was about circumcision. Today, I don't think anyone here would say, how is that 
uh, you know, uh, an issue of the gospel. Paul, it was all about how, how do you appease the Jewish Christians so that they're not disenfranchised or uh, unappreciated or disaffected with the gospel. Well, today, the issues are slightly different. Today, it's about appeasing the gender dysfunctional. It's about whether or not you are carrying on with social justice and if you're woke enough. Or if you're focused on the environmental stresses and issues of the day. Do you know how many churches put all of those things on their websites and say, come and join us. We are affirming. We agree with social justice. We are concerned for our environment. And the gospel has taken a back seat to the vital and most important issue that faces everyone in this world. And there are two reasons why the church changes the gospel or brings in nuances to make it more appealing to the world around us. And one of it you see is in verse 12, is that they don't want to suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Even in Paul's day, one of the great issues that Jewish people had was, how can you believe in a man who died in a cursed death. God says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. You want us to believe that he's the son of God? And that his cursed death is something that has manifested a salvation that can be received by faith? That's contrary to us. Well, you see, that, that, God, that cross of Christ was, was an emblem of shame in their day. But it's no different today. It still becomes, are you ashamed of this gospel that presents God the Son coming in the flesh and dying on a cross in our place? And there's many who find that reprehensible. And, and in meeting the generation that we live in with this gospel message, there's many within the broader evangelical church who find it easier to accept society's agenda than to challenge the godless, immoral worldview that is so prevalent today. And that's because the cross indeed challenges society. Most of you know John 3.16. But do most of you know the verses before and after? It's there in John 3 that Jesus begins to say to Nicodemus, just as Moses had to lift up that serpent on the pole in the desert so that the people who had been infected with death by the serpents could look at it in faith, and in looking at it in faith, they would be delivered from the sting of death that was sweeping through their camp. In other words, Jesus said, the cross, the cross, though a symbol of death, is the means by which you find life. 
And then he goes on to say, So God has so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Even as that serpent had to be crucified, even as the sin of God's people had to be crucified and had to be put to death, so the Son of God who has come to bear the sins of his people must be crucified, must be put to death, must endure the wrath of God for his people so that justice against us could be served. And then Jesus goes on after that to speak about how that cross is going to be an emblem of grief against the world. We forget that, don't we? What comes after? Jesus said, even as I have come into the world, not to condemn it, but to save, to bring salvation, understand What is the condemnation of the world? It's what is reflected in the cross. That light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. And those practicing evil hate the light and do not want to come to the light lest their deeds should be exposed. You see what he's saying there? Understand. That the cross is going to be offensive to this world. Because it will reveal the deep darkness and evil of their lives. Of the darkness that is upon this world. No unbeliever is ever going to want to look at the cross. And see the evil within their heart reflected by what it is proclaiming. They don't want that kind of light. And today, more than ever, we live in a society that wants nothing to do with the light of God shining upon it. And so we are dealing with a society where everyone is just doing and believing what is right in their own eyes. And you come with the gospel. You come with that message of the cross of Jesus Christ. Yes, it is going to offend. But what do we hear in the New Testament time and again? Do not be ashamed that gospel. You know, it's those who are ashamed of the gospel, ashamed of the cross of Christ, that change the message so that the world will accept them. But that is contrary, contrary to who we are, to who Christ is. And the second reason why the gospel gets changed so often is there in verse 13 is that people want to boast in their flesh. People want to boast in themselves. People want to boast about their goodness. People want to boast about how right they are. It's one of those things in our home, every now and then I will hear, you are right. What does that do to your heart? (laughs) Oh, somebody recognized it. Even that little sentence... Puts an appeal on the flesh, doesn't it? It's so easy. It's not just that people don't want to come to the light lest their deeds be exposed, but I'm right because this is right for me. It feels right for me. I don't care if it isn't truth, but this is right for me. 
We make that boast. And Paul's point here, it's got nothing to do about obedience to God's law. It's got everything to do by saying, look, I can check off a list of how good I am. So why can't God take me? Why can't God accept me? Look, I, I go to church. I've been baptized. I, I, I'm not an axe murderer. I, I always find that so interesting how we want to add that little caveat to our resume before God. The extreme things. Never mind what's in between. Never mind that God's word says there is none who are good. No, not one. You missed it the first time. I'll say it again. That's, that's, how, that's how it's presented to us. There is none who are righteous. No, not. People are offended by that. And you see the church today, as I said, the mantra of many churches today, we're an affirming church. We're a socially justice conscious minded church. We're an environmentally friendly church and so on. If you don't believe me, just go to their websites. We've changed the gospel. Now, how, how is it that churches could find themselves boasting in those things and hardly even mention Jesus Christ? Now, not all boasting and glorying is wrong. And I mean it in this way. It, it can be an important way of trying to encourage someone who is learning to do something good, is learning to do something right, and you want to encourage them along in that. But what makes boasting raw is when it becomes a treasure of the heart, an obsession of the soul. We heard it in our call to worship. Don't let the wise man boast in his knowledge or the strong man in his strength or the wealthy man in his riches. That was so common in times past. You know, I, I'm living such a good life. God can't help but bless me. That's why I have all this prosperity. It's not very far from messages of the false gospel today, is it? You know, that, that's, that's the gospel message that out of North America has gone into Africa and infected the church to a grave, grave degree. Jesus even told a parable about this. In Luke 12, the parable of the rich fool. And why did he tell the parable? Because two brothers were arguing over the inheritance. That doesn't happen today, does it? <laughs> And he tells a story of a certain rich man who yielded plentifully. And he thought to himself, not, he did not think to himself, self, the Lord has blessed you with an abundance. Why? So that I may be a blessing to other people who are in need. That thought never crossed his mind. What crossed his mind was, wow, I've got an abundance. What am I going to do? I'm going to build bigger barns to house all my prosperity and I'm going to say to my soul soul you have many goods laid up for many years take your ease eat drink and be merry what did God call him in this parable a fool you know when the Bible calls someone a fool it's not talking about someone who does something silly though this is in a way silly 
but it's about somebody who replaces God with something else. It's about somebody who says in his heart, there is no God that I need to submit and obey in life. I can live as I please. I can be my own God. That's the fool. Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And then, whose will all those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. We make our boast. It becomes a treasure of our hearts. And there's a lot that can can really infect the heart that way. And what Paul brings us to in our text, in verse 14 being the key, is you need to understand, we only, we only have one boast before God, and it's not about us. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. And God forbid in any measure that I should make anything other than the cross of Christ something that I take glory in. It's absolute. Isn't it? Did you notice that? God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That, that is to be our, our, our mantra, dear people. If you are in Christ, do you realize, however your life may unfold, if you are in Christ, do you realize grace, God's grace, has flooded your life? You may not have riches. You may not have strength health. You may not have wisdom, knowledge beyond compare, but if you know Christ, you have all you need for eternal life. Where the glories of God are yours. And understand that this is, first of all, looking at this, this is our new worldview. The, the cross of Jesus Christ gives us a new worldview. Do you ever think on that? Because he, he takes us right to the world in this. When he thinks about boasting only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, he immediately says, this whole world has been crucified to me and I to it. I've got a new worldview. And Paul he is re-emphasizing something that he's already spoken earlier on in this message. A verse which I'm sure a number of you have memorized. But Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. The life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how I live my life. I've got a whole new world view. I look at this world and I think, what can it offer that compares to what Christ has accomplished for me? And I guess the, the question begs us, if the cross is to be our only boast, and you now live a crucified life, what does that look like? What does it look like in your life? Well, the first thing he says here, the world has been crucified to you. 
The world has died to you. We think about that. We've got a lot of students here this morning. You're all working hard, studying hard, educating yourself because you've got plans for your life. Now, that's not wrong. That's right. We are to plan our days. But our goals and our, our end result is still under the sovereignty of God, isn't it? Why? Because this world's been crucified to me. Have you ever heard of students who lament and groan and complain because they went to university, got a degree, and get out and can't find a job? Or they can't find that job that is paying them X amount of dollars that they believe that they're worth. I'm not going to repeat last week on that, but... Uh, You have to listen to the message to understand what I'm talking about there from last week. We're we're learning as Christians. Yes, we do these things to the glory of God, not to the glory of self. And it's one of the hardest things to shape. My friends, when Paul here speaks about being crucified, the world being crucified to you, what he is telling you and what you need to grasp is that you no longer love its lusts, its pleasures, its arrogant philosophies. How did John put it in 1 John chapter 2? And this is spoken to Christians. It's spoken to the church. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world... Here's an absolute statement. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Isn't that frightening? You see the self-deception that comes in is thinking we can have Christ and the world together. And he goes on to talk about what are the things in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of light. Going out and just fulfilling all the pleasures that your flesh, your body wants to have fulfilled. Regardless of whether or not it's in line with God. You know how many Christians, quote unquote, agree with abortion? Now I'm not here to look at society's immorality, but but the problem is why do they agree with abortion? Why? The lust of the flesh. I can have that. Coveting the pleasures of this world. And he says, that's what's in the world. It's not of the Father. It's of the world. And it conflicts with our obedience to God. And what Paul is saying here is that you as a believer in Christ, you, the world's been crucified to you. You no longer think the way the world thinks or talk the way the world talks, or misbehave the way the world misbehaves. Do you get it? It's been crucified to you. You no longer, you no longer take comfort in the things that the world does. You no longer value what the world values. You no longer get caught up in life the way the world does. I heard a man once say this, and I always think it's the greatest definition I've ever heard, but do you know what the rat race is? How many of you have heard that expression? The rat race. Well, you know what it is? The rat race is going to school to get an education so that you can get a job you don't like and 
work for someone who doesn't pay you well enough so that you can buy things that you can't afford so that you can keep up with people you don't like. And you hear that, that mantra being drummed into people. This is what you need to do this. But they're looking at it all not from the perspective of obedience and glory to God, but of self-glory. What he's saying here, my friends, is that the cross of Christ has struck a death blow to all of this world's godless values and hopeless pleasures and dominated sinful lifestyles. The church is caught up in it today. Some of you are. You probably haven't stopped to think, how am I caught up in it? Will you stop and think, what takes priority in your life on this, the Lord's Day? Stop and think on that one issue alone. And begin to ask yourself, is the world crucified to me? Or am I trying to follow two ways at the same time? You've been crucified to the world is the second statement that Paul makes here. And it's equally important to understand this, what he's saying here. When he says that uh, I, the, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, I think many of us don't really understand what that means. But it means the other side of what I've just said. It means the world now considers you dead to it. You think, how does that work itself out? Well, understand, the world is going to disagree with your new worldview. Of course they're not going to agree with you when you say something like, uh, sex outside of marriage is wrong. Uh, looking to gain the world, I may lose my soul. Uh, The wisdom of this generation is foolishness to God. You come with those new values, the world is going to call you names. Is going to think you old-fashioned or or, uh, regressive. The world disagrees with you disagrees with your treasures. And you know something? We were warned of this in 1 Peter 4. Peter begins there by talking about Christ suffering for us. And because Christ suffered on the cross for us, we need to arm ourselves with that same mind because we no longer live the rest of our time here for the lusts of men. We now live our time here in the flesh for the will of God. We have spent enough of our lifetime in the flesh, in doing those things, walking in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. We're through with that. We're working on it. Have all of that changed in our lives. But listen to what he says in verse 4, 1 Peter 4, 4. In regards to these They, the world, they think it's strange that you do not run with them. In that same flood of dissipation, they speak evil of you. Well, yeah, because light and darkness cannot coexist. 
Of course they're going to think you an oddity. Of course they may disenfranchise you from several of their gatherings and whatnot. Why? Because the world's been crucified to you and you to the world. It's the reality of who we are. And the world will look upon you with disdain because you now stand in opposition to them, even as Christ did, even with all of the good that Jesus did to all of Israel. Who was it that stood there on that day shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him? It was all of Israel. Not just a few people of select groups. It says there, and the crowd of Jerusalem came out and said, crucify him. Why? Because as much good as he's done for us, he continues to conflict with our worldview. We don't want him anymore. And we are in Christ. Don't be surprised when this world hates you. Because you hold to the truth of the cross. Understand, it's offensive to them. But in God's wisdom, this is the power of God to salvation. His grace, the reason you're not running with them, or the reason you should not be running with them, is because God's grace has fallen upon you. No other reason. He's changed you. And that brings us to the second point of, of glorying in the cross, making our boast in the cross. And that comes to us in verse 15, how in Christ and Christ crucified, we have a new creation. We're being made a new creation. Well, Paul expanded on that in 2 Corinthians 5. and There's a chapter for you to read about the new creation. But again, he, he sets as the foundation of where we come. Most of you, again, I will assume, most of you as Christians, you know 2 Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How many of you know that verse? We know it well. What comes before it? Why is it that we can make that statement? It's because of the cross of Christ. Because what he says before this is that Christ died for all. That those who live in him should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. The cross of Jesus Christ has changed us. And it is the foundation of the new creation life that we live. This is what matters. Cross transforms you. Have you ever stopped to think about that? I know we, we attribute, and rightly so, we attribute that new birth, that new creation life to the work of the Holy Spirit. But what is it that the Holy Spirit has wrought in you? An understanding that you are a sinner doomed to die under the wrath of God and only through the death of Jesus Christ in bearing your sins and the wrath of God that was against you, only in that death and that resurrection of Jesus Christ are you able to be saved. And what a new life you have. 
believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and repented of your sins, your desires immediately begin to change. You no longer live for self. How can I serve God? Now, I know we struggle with that. I'm, I'm not excluding that, but I'm setting the absolutes before you because this is where we are headed. Your desire is now to please God and to pursue holiness. You have new habits in your life. You, If you're married, you have a new perspective for your household. And if you are in that course, sickness, death, You have a new longing for the hope of eternal glory in the presence of God. It's all new to you. You're a new creation. We can say to this world, can't we? This world that is dying in the muck and mire of its sin. I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid to die. The Lord may take me tomorrow. I may plan my life to live to a ripe old age, as we like to say, but... We know not the plan and purposes of God, but I am ready to die in this sense. Christ is my Savior. He has conquered the sting of death. I no longer fear the grave because I know that to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. It's not an end. It's eternal life. You see, it's all new. And why we have... This, this life of new habits and new perspectives and a new longing for the hope of eternal glory. Why do we have that? Because through the cross, our life is being prepared for that new creation that God intends when the Lord Jesus returns. It's not just about me being a new creation. It's about God in Christ coming and making all things what? New. (laughs) A new heaven, a new earth is waiting for us. You think about this. Before you were born again, could you see any of that? No. No. In fact, in John 3, again, if you were to back up a little bit from what I've already spoken from John 3, you would hear Jesus saying, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, right now, if you are in Christ, and I say talk about that new heaven and earth coming, that kingdom of God that is about to come, what's going through your mind? It's heaven, isn't it? Eternal glory. It's being with God in his presence, knowing that that's there. Even now, because you have been born again, you can see that kingdom of God. And it's coming. We want it to come. Because like God, like Christ, this world vexes us. Some of you younger people may be tired of hearing some of us older ones say that things are different today than when I was your age. And I don't mean the technology. I mean morally. Things are very different today. They're trying even now in our own country to decide how we can offer made to mentally ill people. Doesn't that grieve you? Why? Because they have no hope. We do. Why? 
because Jesus died for us. We have a new hope, a living hope. See the difference? If you don't, then you need to look to Christ. You need to turn to Christ. You need to fix your eyes on who he is and know and see what he did in his death and in his resurrection to bring you salvation from sin, to deal with that penalty of death that you face. Come to him. Because what he offers us is life eternal even now. Because he's made us a new creation where we can see the kingdom of God. And that's what we're longing for. So you see why Paul says here, God forbid that I should boast in anything, I'll add that, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the Lord. Make the Lord your only boast.